You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this Discipleship Group Refinement Series, we unpack our church's plan to walk in obedience to God by growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. Today we are going to finish up our, um, kind of our discipleship refinement, our D-group refinement, and in this last section what we're going to do is we're kind of give I'm going to give the why behind everything that we've been we've been talking about over the last month, and I know that some of you are like are just dropping in on the last thing, but you'll be able to pick up what um, this message will be um, declaring uh, for us today, even though that you might not have uh, heard the rest of it and, and are part of discipleship groups and, and different things like that. So the main why behind. Um, everything that we're doing as far as our environment of discipleship groups is in essence at the very core of it, at the very foundation of it, is to help one another fight sin. Because that is our biggest problem. Not sins as in like the things that pop up on our tree that we, we know that these are the sins we have, but sin, the, the deep-rooted fallen condition of our hearts that Jesus did absolutely took care of. He he freed us from that slavery, but we know that we are progressively working our way to one day be glorified where we don't have to deal with this flesh. And that's kind of, as, as Sam read Romans 8, the, the great eight, one of the, the greatest chapters in the Bible where it starts out, um, for there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. In other words, that you are not condemned, even though each one of us know and, and, and probably couldn't list a couple different sins that we struggle with even right now. Today, like you might not even have made it here today without sinning in some way, getting angry or being impatient or what have you. And we got to understand that that is the walk of the Christian. And one day we will be glorified. And one day that wonderful hope that we have that one day all that sin, because we get a new body, it, all of that propensity to, to go towards sin will be gone. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to think about. But in the meantime, God has given us the word. He's given us the spirit. And he's given us a body of believers, those that we've covenanted with and are doing life with, that will help us to fight sin. So let me pray. We're going to dive into just two verses of Romans and kind of unpack the rest of some of the things that we can do to actually, as Nate already kind of unpacked a little bit, to help one another, to um, push each other to have a greater affection for Jesus and all that he has done versus the sin and the idolatry that that we tend to to worship whenever we sin. So that's kind of the the push of the whole um, morning today is this idea that we're just trying to help one another to foster, to build up, to fan in the flames. And maybe Paul would say this, this affection for Jesus and all that he has done. So let me pray for us. And we'll look at verses 12 and 13 of, of Romans 8, which is really the why behind our environment that we call discipleship groups. It's helping one another to fight sin. So let me pray real quick. Pray with me. Father, again, I just ask for your spirit to help Lord, you hear, your spirit dwells in us. Lord, the, the word of God is used by the spirit to change us from one glory to another. Father, I pray today as we listen to this for ourselves, because there is some wonderful things that we can preach to ourselves here. But Lord, I also hope that we will look at our brothers and sisters in Christ that we do life with, and that we could use some of these things to help them 
to fight sin. As Paul would say, to fan into flame that affection for Jesus and all that he has done. Father, I pray that you would help us do so today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Romans 8, 12 through 13 says this, and we're just going to unpack it a little bit and continue on, kind of give a recap of what we've been saying and then dive into the rest of today. So Romans 8, 12 through 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, we know that the so then is kind of like a for or a therefore. It's kind of saying, okay, that some of the things that, that the writer has already said. He said, okay, because I've said these things, so then this is true. And some of the things that he said, 1, one through 11, is that you're saved, that you have the Spirit, and the Spirit will help you fight sin. So he's saying, so then, brothers, we are no longer debtors. In other words, we are no longer enslaved to sin. See, the, the thing is, is before Christ changes our heart and we are born again, we are enslaved to sin. We cannot, we can kind of be a little bit more moral and we could be a little bit more, you know, better to the, the society around us, but we are enslaved to sin. And what Jesus does is he comes and he breaks that bondage of slavery so that we can actually be free to not sin. That's a wonderful thing. And some of us know that there's some sins that hang on to. And I'm sure every single one of us can look back in our life and our walk with God that we know that some sins have kind of fallen away. And we praise God for that as we have grown in Christ. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You no longer have to live according to the flesh. God has done something to break those chains. Chains. God has done something to help you no longer live to the flesh. In fact, he's saying that, that he's calling you to live out that. He's, he's saying that you need to have a purposeful, I will not live by the flesh anymore. That has to be like purposeful in your life. You have to be thinking about that and walking with that. And that's why we need brothers and sisters to help us do so. And verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will Live. So he first says that we are debtors. I kind of hardly hit this a little bit, meaning we have an obligation. The obligation does not save us. But because we have been saved, we have an obligation. Because Christ has saved you, because he has done these things, now we have an obligation to fight sin because of what Christ has done. You are no longer enslaved to live by the sinful nature. Christ has freed you from that enslavement. Because Christ has freed you from the enslavement, you are now obligated to fight. To put to death the deeds of the body. That's the Christian walk. We are, we are obligated to fight. As Piper would say, make war. We are to make war against sin. Because that is the biggest problem in our life. I know that sometimes we think it's our spouse, our kids, our work, our job, the people around us, our neighbor that's up all night partying, whatever it is that we think is our problem. The Bible says our biggest problem is sin. And we are to make war against it. And we are not to do it on our own. Because if we try to do it on our own, we will fail every time. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God. And we need our brothers and sisters to walk alongside us. We need to make war. We need to take it seriously. 
Some of you sitting here have sin in your life that you believe that you will never overcome. Paul is challenging you to continue the fight. Continue the fight. Some of you are sitting here today and say you're sorry for sin, but never truly repent of sin. Never truly turn from it and trust in God. And what we are doing when we do that is we abuse God's grace. We abuse his grace. Paul is pretty direct here in these verses. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In one sentence, there is a terrifying truth and a glorious truth. Paul is saying, if you are not in the fight, then maybe you are not saved. Because see, if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, his part and his job, one of the jobs that he has, is to help us become more like Christ. Is to help to sanctify us. And if this is his job, if he's, if he's calling out sin, if he's convicting us of sin, then there's going to be an automatic war if we are in Christ. So there's that terrifying truth that maybe if, if I can sin and there's no fight in me, or if, if this is new to you, like if you've, if you've walked your Christian life and this, is, this idea is new to you, like I'm supposed to fight sin. I, I thought it's just supposed to you know, be all about good feelings and, and all that thing. But no, we're to, to take sin seriously and we are to fight sin what Paul is kind of saying here is, is if, if there's no fight in you, then that's going to lead to death because you're just living by the flesh. And in return, he's kind of also saying, then maybe the spirit isn't dwelling in you. So it's just kind of a warning. It's, it's terrifying warning, right, to think about. But the glorious truth that is also within here is we don't fight sin on our own. We fight sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must be in the fight. We must be in the fight. As John Owen famously said, be killing sin or it be killing you. Be killing sin or it be killing you. And we know that the fight is at the hard level. It's at the heart level. The fight is over our affections. It's over our affections. It's about what we think about, what, what, what we desire, what, what we value, which leads to the choices that we make, the actions that we have. We know the fight is at the heart level, the inner man. We will never defeat sin, never once will we ever defeat sin by trying to stop sinning. We might do it once or twice, but it'll come back. If it's just, I have more willpower or I'll do better or I'll try harder, it doesn't work. I got 20 some years of, you know, experience. You can come talk to me and I'll tell you the times I tried to do that. It didn't work very well for me. We will never defeat sin by just trying to stop sinning. The only way you defeat sin is with a greater affection. It's with a greater affection. That affection is God and specifically Jesus and what he has done for you and me. That's how we defeat sin by the power of the Holy Spirit is to have a greater affection. We lift up who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ to bring us into the family. Now, over the last several weeks, we have been looking at how to care for people in our D groups and our faith family in general so that we can help 
them to fight sin. It's all been part of trying to develop an environment where we can help one another fight sin. And when we run into situations, maybe we can give you tools to help one another to do so. The whole idea is so that we can stir up a greater affection for God, for Jesus, and all that he has done. What have we said so far? We, we, begin, we begin, especially in our D groups or just you know, over coffee or within our faith family, we begin by knowing the people in our D groups and in our faith family. We patiently listen. We ask good questions. And good questions are by those that are curious to know the answer. We interpret in light of biblical worldview. In other words, as we are asking questions and they're answering those questions, we are thinking through the Bible, okay, is this person um, suffering or is this person sinning or is there both and? And we're going to learn later that there's always a both and. And then we consider the circumstances, meaning, okay, what is best for this person to hear now? Or what is the best thing that we can tackle first? What is most important? How can we help them the best? As we get to know them, we we begin to serve them through praying and pursuing them and sharing our lives and bearing with one another and forgiving when their messy life pours off into ours and they sin against us. We forgive them. And then as we get to know them and as we are serving them, then we begin to speak truth to them. We affirm them what what God has been doing in their lives or who they are in Christ. You affirm them through Scripture. You correct them if needed through Scripture. You teach them what the Word of God says and, and the commands and different things that the Word says. And most importantly, at the very end, we must give them hope. We give them hope. And the last piece, and maybe the most important is we need to proclaim the gospel to them. We need to help them develop a greater affection. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is only not just only needed way back then when you were saved. We need the gospel every single day. We need to preach it to ourselves and we need to have brothers and sisters preaching it to us. Because we need the gospel every day to stir that affection. This is the only way we will win out over sin is by having a greater affection. So let me just give you the definition. I want to put it up on the board that we've been kind of unpacking over the last four or five weeks. Actually, we had, I know we had interruption last week, um, but this is kind of the definition we've been working through. Gospel care, which is what we're trying to do in our discipleship groups. We're trying to create a culture of care. Gospel care is the God-exalting, grace-saturated art of loving another person through patiently knowing, sacrificially serving, truthfully speaking, and consistently applying the gospel in order to help them become more like Jesus. That's kind of what we've been unpacking. It's a definition that kind of defines what we want happening in our discipleship groups. One that will help us to lead, to help one another to fight sin. If you still have your paper, I know it's been four weeks. There should be four open spaces at the very end. And I'll give you those words. And and I'm going to kind of mix them up as as I unpack them. Because I thought it would be better to unpack them in in this order versus the order that was given in the book. Um, But the first of all is recognizing. 
identifying, reminding, and instructing. And this is all about gospel. Um, I don't know if he made the word up or, or whatever, but the gentleman that wrote the book, um, Loving Messy People, he used the word gospeling. Like he turned it into a verb. Like we are gospeling one another. We are sharing the gospel. We are proclaiming the gospel to one another. It's not just something that should happen on a Sunday morning by whoever is standing behind the pulpit or whoever is leading worship or whoever is doing prayer. This should be happening all the time. That's how important the gospel is. We should be speaking the gospel to one another all the time. So the first thing we must do is we must recognize the impact of the fallen world on the person we are discipling. And better known, we know that as suffering. We're identifying the suffering. This goes back to getting to know them, right? If you think back, as you listen, as you're asking questions and interpreting their answers through a biblical lens, which, which parts um, are sin and what parts are suffering from living in a fallen world. So we're doing that triage, so to speak. So as we're asking questions because we're curious about their life and they're telling us what's going on, we are listening in such a way. Is this suffering? Is this sinning? But we know that it's always intermingled, right? We can't bifurcate them absolutely. It's always intermingled. But it's life in the fallen world. I'm sure every single one of us came through the door today, right, struggling a little bit from life in this fallen world. Just a little bit from something. So we should identify that. Are they suffering? And again, there is no either or. Every person you minister to will inevitably be both a sufferer and a saint who sins. It's a both and. The error we want to avoid is always connecting suffering with personal sin. Because that's not always the case. Many times we are sinned against and we are suffering. Many times it's just life in this world causes us to suffer. So here's a good rule of thumb. And this will be up on, the, up on the screen. Unless the causative connection between a person's suffering and their sin is absolutely clear. It's absolutely clear. Don't even try to make the connection. If someone, if you're sitting in your D group or you're over coffee with somebody and they're talking about things that they're struggling with or things that's happening in their life. And if all you're doing is you're sitting there thinking, okay, this person is suffering. I see that they're suffering and we're all suffering to some degree because we're not with Jesus yet. Right. But you're listening. And if all you're listening for is where's the sin so I can tell them to stop sinning. Therefore, they'll quit suffering. No. The only time that you do that is when it's absolutely clear. When it's absolutely clear. When it's absolutely clear, do we try to make the connection? We don't want to be Job's friends, right? We don't want to be Job's friends. And those of you who have read Job, you know about Job's friends. You just consistently said, man, Job, you had to do something wrong. You had to do something wrong. You had to do something wrong. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. We want to love our brothers and sisters well. That's the overarching thing of everything that we do is loving our brothers and sisters well. We don't want to be Job's friends, but we also want to try to relieve the suffering in some way, right? Just as Jesus did. Matthew 4, 23 through 24 says, And we, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, 
those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, obviously, we can't do that. (laughs) But he can. So therefore, we can pray. We can serve them. We can speak the truth to them. But we can relieve suffering because sometimes we have to relieve suffering so that they can see the sin maybe. That is on down the road that we get to as we build this relationship with one another. Sometimes we we can't fight sin because we're suffering. And and the only point we're trying to make here is sometimes you've got to, to address the suffering so that maybe later on you can address the sin if there is sin. Right? There are many ways we suffer. Fallen bodies, fallen environment. We can read Genesis 3 to see that. Fallen culture, other people's sins, Satan and his demons. There, you know, Ephesians tells us there's a spiritual war going on. So there's many, many ways that we suffered. It is outside of the realm of calling it sin. Many ways. So how do we help the suffering saint? Maybe we, we've identified, okay, they're suffering in some way. How do we help them? How do we point them to Christ? How do we gospel them, as, using that word as, as, as a verb? How do we proclaim the good news so that they may have a greater affection? We lead them into the biblical discipline of lament. We lead them and help them to lament. Lament is unfamiliar to many. Maybe because we think... There's a synonym here, and maybe we think it's some kind of a sin because we think lament means complaining, but they're two different things. Maybe Israel comes to mind, right? As they wandered around the desert complaining about what they left behind in Egypt. Their slavery, by the way. And sometimes, just as Paul pointing out that we are enslaved to sin, sometimes what we do is we complain about the slavery that we were in because Christ is calling us to something New, And we want to go back to the slavery, just like Egypt did. That's complaining. Or what they had to eat, right? They had manna, that wasn't good enough. Then they had quail, that wasn't good enough. They just complained. That's not lamenting. That's not what we're trying to help someone do to try to help them when they're suffering. But lamenting is fundamentally different from complaining. Complaining is making a grievance about God. And lamenting is making a grievance to God. In this way, lamenting is ultimately an act of faith. It's not complaining about God, but you're complaining to Him. And when you're complaining, or you're grieving grievances to Him, sorry, I used the word complain. When you're grieving, you're giving your grievances to Him, what you're doing, that's an act of faith. Because why would you tell Him this if you don't believe that He can't do something about it? Psalm 1, uh, 13, 1 and 2 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all of the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's not complaining about God. He's, he's grieving, giving his grievances to God. He's giving his grievances to God. This kind of honesty... This kind of cry in response to suffering is what prepares the psalmist's heart for the hope that comes later on in the psalm. And we read this in 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You see his affections being stirred. 
He grieved to God what was happening in his life. And the return thing is, is his affections are being stirred for God. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It doesn't mean that this psalmist had an immediate response. But as he grieved to him, the spirit worked in him and, and he saw all the wonderful gifts that God has given him and all that he has done. And we go right to the cross to see that. We see his love, all that he has done for us in Christ Jesus. We see that very clearly. Do you see how David's affection was stirred as he cried out to his God? As you help lead someone into lament, you both are acting out of faith. In other words, if, if, if you're going to suggest to someone, hey, how about roll, you know, opening up to one of the lament psalms, both of you are acting in faith. And you're prepared to receive the promises of redemption, renewal, and healing that can only be found in Christ. First, we must in, recognize the impact of the fallen world. And we need to help them to identify the depths of the fallenness of their hearts. Okay, so we've, we've kind of helped them deal with the suffering and maybe there is sin. So now we've got to help them see the depths of their fallen heart, how deep their, the depths of their hearts are in sin. We need to help them see that because the first thing that sin does is blinds us that it's actually sin. So we need help from our brothers and sisters to do so. Again, this is the, the fruit and root we frequently talk about this process. That we just not need to look at the fruit that we're having, but we need to deep down and look at the root, at the heart. What's going on with your affections? What's going on with your thinking? We need to, to do that. We need to help each other see the idols that we worship above God. Those idols that we have greater affection for than God. And when we identify them, we help each other do what? We help each other to confess. To confess. And brothers and sisters, we're not going to confess to God or to one another, especially to one another, unless we are rooted and grounded and secure in our salvation. Unless we know that our sins are forgiven, our guilt has been taken away, our shame has been taken away, and we are in Christ. Then we will open our, ourselves to one another and be vulnerable. But it has to be rooted in the gospel because if it's not rooted in the gospel, then it's, what is this person going to think of me if I tell them what I'm struggling with? Well, does it matter? Who is that person? The God of the universe has forgiven you. What more credibility do you, do you need to, to be vulnerable and share? 1 John 1, 9 talks about this confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, give us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another as you serve, praying, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we're to confess. We are lead them to confession. Confession is about more than simply admitting the wrong things have been done. It is about agreeing with God that a significant portion of our heart is still turned inward or is turned towards an idol. We are worshiping either ourselves or worshiping something else. It's agreeing with God that our sin goes deeper than we had previously realized. 
You know what we will spend the rest of our lives confessing in this way? If the Spirit is dwelling in us, if we're in the war, we will spend the rest of our lives confessing in this way. So it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because what you're doing is you're given opportunity for the Spirit and the Word to work in you, to change you. So that you no longer have to struggle with that sin. That's glorious. We should shout about that. This is not a one-time event, but a spiritual discipline to be developed. Tim Keller explains, There's a certain sense in which we spend our entire lives thinking we have reached the bottom of our hearts and finding it as a false bottom. We think that we're there. We're not. (laughs) It's a false bottom. Mature Christians are not people who have completely hit bedrock. I do not believe that it is possible in this life. Rather, they are the people who know how to keep drilling and are getting closer and closer. And and you think that maybe you'd run out of hope or you would despair in this? No, because Christ is there covering everything that you unearth. It's all been forgiven. And you know what? Whenever you truly see the depths of what you've been forgiven of, then Christ is seen for who he truly is. And then, boy, are your, your affections stirred, right? Your affections are really stirred when we truly see the depth of what we have been saved from. And you know, when we start seeing that, then these little sins that keep hanging on, they start falling off because we have a greater affection. We have a greater affection. We should invite those we are ministering to to pray David's prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievance way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. We should explore that. We should help one another explore that. Because as we see the depths of our sin and the actual separation between us and God, then we see Christ for who he truly is and what he has truly done for us. They're having a ball back there, man. (laughs) If you pray this prayer, God will answer it. He will answer it. He will show you. But he won't leave you laid bare before him. He won't leave you there. He will cover it with his mercy and surround you with his grace. Every messy person in your life needs to be shown that the mess is, in fact, worse than they ever knew. And every messy person in your life needs to be shown that consequently the gospel is greater than they ever imagined. And as you help others identify the depth of the fallenness of their hearts, you then instruct them and help them to put off and put on. You instruct them to put off and put on. You instruct them to be obedient to God's commands. This is what we are to put on. We are to put off sin and we are to put on righteousness or put on what God has called us to do, be or think. We help people see that their problems are worse than they realize and that God's grace is greater than they have ever imagined. It is also necessary to help them see in light of that grace, we are called to live lives of trust and obedience more radical than they ever thought possible. 
more radical than they ever thought possible. Why? Because you have a greater desire. It's not that I'm going to obey just because I'm earning something. You obey because of all that Christ has done for you. And you will see all that Christ has done for you when you truly see the depths of where you came from. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Paul would call that sinful nature, right? Your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There's the affections coming in and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In essence, you're, you're calling them, you're instructing them to repent, to turn, to turn from, from what you're trusting in or what you're worshiping and trust and worship our creator, Jesus, who saved us. Repentance is so much more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is being overwhelmed by the glory of God's grace that you turn from your worship of idols and self and strive to worship God with your whole life. You strive to worship Him with your whole life. It's not just something we do on Sunday or, or three or four times a week. It's all of life. All of life is worshiping. Because we're either worshiping Him or something else. So what we do is we help them recognize the impact of a fallen world. We need to help them see the depths of their fallen hearts... We need to instruct them to repent, put off and put on. And finally, we need to simply remind them of gospel truth. We must remind them of gospel truth. We remind them in their suffering that no matter what we're going through, God understands. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter how you're suffering today, God understands. In Jesus' earthly life, he experienced the fullness of humanity, including the fullness of suffering. Whether we are in the midst of battling cancer, a fight with a family member, the pressures of work or college or school, Jesus knows what we are experiencing. He understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The fact that Jesus can empathize with all of our suffering and Every one of our weaknesses reminds us that we can approach God intimately. Because isn't that what it's ultimately about? This is a relationship between us and, and the Creator, God. It's about a relationship. Verse 14 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. At the end of the passage that Sam read, He's our Father, we are His children. That is a special relationship. Do you experience that relationship? Have you stepped into that relationship? 
See, the, the goal, the reason why we are, are fighting sin or putting off sin is so that we can grow that relationship with God. Because in that relationship God with God is the only place that we are perfectly loved. And that's what each one of us is, 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 is literally dying for. Is to be perfectly loved. The rest of that verse, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Which leads us to the second truth of the gospel we need to be reminded in our suffering. And that is God is with us. He is with us. I mean, literally with us. John 14, 16 through 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He is with us. And the third thing we need to be reminded in our suffering is that God is redeeming it for our good. And see, only when you're in a relationship, only when you've taken the time to pursue somebody, only whenever you're serving somebody in prayer and you're walking with them in life, can this verse actually mean more than a platitude, more than something that you're just saying to make them feel good for a temporary time. And oftentimes when we use it as a platitude, it actually just heaps on condemnation. And that's this verse that is a wonderful, glorious truth for his children. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He is working it all out for good. And we may not see it. We may not understand it. But he is. Because he's a good God. And we know that he is a good God. How do we know that God can be trusted to follow through on such an enormous promise? That he's working all things out for good? Well, a couple verses later, Paul pens these words. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? Here's the verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do we know that he can hold that promise and now he's working all things for good? Because what he, he sent his own son to save us. D.A. Carson writes, In the darkest night of the soul, Christians have something to hang on to that Job never knew. We know Christ crucified. Christians have learned that when there seems to be no other evidence of God's love, they can escape. They cannot escape the cross. We can go to the cross and see God's love. And in the gospel, God not only promises to redeem the effects of our fallen world, our suffering, he promises to redeem our fallen hearts as well. One day, our hearts will be fully redeemed. Our inner man will be fully sanctified. We'll be actually given new bodies to live in the new earth, to spend eternity with Jesus. In Christ, you have been forgiven. In Christ, you have been redeemed. In Christ, you have been washed clean. How do we help others grow their affection for God so that they can fight sin? We help them to lament when they are suffering. We help them to see the depth of their fallen hearts and lead them to confess so they can see the enormous cross and what Christ has done. 
We instruct them to repent, turn, and trust in the finished work of Christ. And we remind them that God understands. He is with us. And he is working things for our good. And to remind them we are forgiven. And I know in a therapeutic age that we live in, somehow we don't think that that is enough. Just to remind someone that they are forgiven. But boy, it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes with the power of the cross. Paul says that the power is in the gospel. The power is in the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done for each one of us. And let me just close by reminding all of us what Jesus has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heaven and places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you are in Christ today, this is true of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to love one another well. Lord, to get to know one another, to serve one another to speak to one another, and Lord, to remind us all of the wonderful gospel, the good news of what Christ has done. Father, I pray today, if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, that the Spirit has worked in their heart, that they have seen that they are separated from God, that that maybe that some of this before just would roll off their back, but For some reason today, they see it differently. You're working in their heart, or maybe you have already changed their heart. Lord, I pray that they would repent. They would turn from trusting in themselves and trust fully in you and the work on the cross. Lord, for those of us who are here, who have been walking with you, I pray that we are all in the fight. I pray that we are all making war against sin. I pray that as we live in this fallen world with these fallen bodies, Lord, that when we suffer, our brothers and sisters will come alongside us and and help us to lament. Will call us to confession and repentance 
and then will remind us of the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us do that. Each one of us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.